Amen. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas Eve. Man, it's good to be here together. Uh, My name is Jesse. Uh, I'm one of the associate pastors here. Uh, Our senior pastor, our our leader, uh, Pastor Justice, is not here this morning. Uh, Justice and Cami and the boys uh, thought if they uh, all just got the flu together that it would create some good bonding time. And so that's what they did. They just went out and got the flu. Uh, and so they are not here this morning, unfortunately, and so as you think of them, as you pray for them, uh, just, just know they're watching, uh, so they're watching you right now, okay, the pastor's still watching, uh, but my name, again, my name is Jesse, I'm one of the associate pastors, if you're new here, uh, glad you're here, we hope this isn't your only time with us, we hope you come next week and weeks and weeks to come, uh, so we believe church is not just a thing to do on a Sunday, but that it's a, a body of believers, that we are uh, here to love one another as we're going to look at this morning, to care for one another, to walk through life with uh, each other, not just to be on Sunday and say, all right, let's go back to our lives, but that we're regularly involved in one another's lives. And so we know today that you have probably lots of things planned, maybe you have family coming over, or maybe you're going over, and so we are glad that you chose to be here, uh, and we just want to take some time to, to study and look at God's Word. And so we're going to be in the book of 1 John uh, this morning. And so if you want to turn there, as Nathan mentioned, we've been in the reading plan. And so uh, this, wasn't, this isn't per, just a Christmas message per se. This is one of the, the chapters that we read this week as, we were reading, as we've been reading through the Bible. Uh, we've just got uh, a few days left in the end of the year. And we'll have read from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, and so this is the passage. But actually, I was up... Uh, up in my office uh, preparing for this message, and Kayla, my wife, texted me. She said, what passage are you preaching from this week? And I told her, she said, I knew it. She said, as soon as I read this passage, I was like, she said, that, like, that just screams Christmas message. Uh, and so she nailed it, and so maybe you could have guessed as you were reading this week, but it's 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we're really going to just look at verses 7 through 10, uh, talk a little bit about verse 11 and 12 as well, uh, but that's the passage we're going to jump into uh, so before we read those few passages, I just want to very quickly kind of give an overview of the book of 1 John uh, and the author. And so as I was, as I was preparing, uh, you know, this, this is just going to be a shorter message. You can hold me to that, okay, than our, our typical Sunday. Uh, and uh, as I was talking with Justice this week, towards the, a couple, just a couple days ago, I was like, man, this is a great passage. Like, yes, it's good. And, and then as I started studying and reading more, I'm like, man... There's like just, it's deeper and deeper. And I just realized, man, this, even just these first few verses is just so rich. Uh, and one of the, I found a quote about the book of 1 John. It said this, reading 1 John casually, one is struck by its simplicity. But reading and rereading it, one comes to discover its depth and complexity and to, de- uh, to derive even greater benefit from it. And so by that, we, we don't mean and we don't believe we just read the Bible just to benefit us, but it's to know God. But what it's saying there is as we read the passage more, as we read Scripture more, and specifically he's talking about 1 John, we just come to a deeper understanding of who God is, his love for us. Uh, and that is a benefit for us because we get to know our Creator, our Savior, at a more deep and personal relationship with God. And so we're going to, for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to deeply unpack a lot of this, but we are just going to kind of scratch the surface. Uh, And so the the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John, so not John the Baptist, uh, but the Apostle John, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And we're going to see a lot of similarities this morning between 1 John 
uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, but then he also wrote, as you might have guessed, Second John and Third John. Uh, and what other book did John write? Revelation, Revelation okay. Uh, so, so John has gotten four, he gets four books. Uh, I'm, f- I'm sorry, five books of the Bible are written by this author, John. Uh, so the Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. But it's important to kind of know a little bit, uh, just one thing about John is, so why, why can we trust John? Uh, well, in, just in the, in the first five verses of 1st John, he kind of gives us his uh, resume, so to say, of why does he, why should we listen to John? Pastor Justice did an incredible message last week just talking about the reliability of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, why we can believe that the Word of God is true. In fact, the, the Bible is the most historically accurate uh, piece of literature we have. I'm not talking about biblical, just ever any piece of literature. The Bible is the most historically accurate. Uh, and so I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. But in that, John kind of wants us to know a few things. So here in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes. So he's talking about him and the disciples. He's saying, we have seen these things by ourselves. I am a first-hand witness, which we looked upon and we touched with our hands. He's saying, I have literally touched the hands of Jesus concerning the word of life. And we know in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And so he's referring here to Jesus. Verse 2, the, the life, that life, Jesus, was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's speaking about Jesus coming to earth in the form of a baby. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, this is like the third time he's talking, like we've seen it and we've heard it. We also proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you. God, that we have your word, that as we looked last week, that we can be confident Lord, that this isn't just some made-up book of, of stories, God, that this isn't just some, some uh, rantings of some, some, some religious zealot, that this is literally your word breathed out using human authors. But John was one of those. John walked with you. He talked with you. He held your hand. And then he, you gave him the words to write down so that as he says here that, Lord, as we listen to what he witnessed, what he experienced, what he saw, or that that truth would help us see today that you make the same offer of eternity with you, that you love us in the same way that you loved John. And Lord, I pray that as we spend this time together this morning, that we would just be strengthened in our faith for you. Lord, that, that maybe there's those that don't know you here, Lord, that just as your spirit is, is speaking and guiding Lord, that you would draw them to you. And so, Lord, I just pray for this morning, for this time together. I pray for Pastor Justice and his family and and everyone else that's sick, Lord, that you would just bring them to full health. Uh, Be with us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So John kind of gives us there, this is, this is why you should believe me. This is why we he is a reliable witness. But then throughout the, uh, 1 John, John also kind of gives us four purposes of why he's, he has written this letter. 
Uh, and in, in verse 4, we see this. Uh, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that's the first one, is that, that joy may be complete. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about, I have written these things so that you don't fall into sin. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things so you're not deceived by those that are trying to teach you things that are not found in the Word of God, that are contrary to the teachings of Jesus. But then maybe if there was one thesis statement for all of 1 John... I think it's the fourth time that John tells us, I'm writing these things. In, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me say that read it one more time. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that, the son, that you have eternal life. I think that's important, just we can hold our finger here in 1 John, uh, because the gospel of John is unique in that he's the only gospel writer that specifically tells us his purpose for writing his gospel. And so in John chapter 20, verse 31, and this might sound pretty familiar, but John, starting in verse 30, John, the author of this gospel and the author of 1 John, says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think all of John's existence from his gospel to these other three letters is for the, for the sole fact that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God and that salvation is in Christ alone. And so he says lots of different things, but all of it is operating from just John's deep conviction and passion and desire for us to know those things. That Jesus is the Son of God and that he is Savior of the world. And so that kind of sets the, the tone and just kind of keeping that in the back of your mind that everything that John is saying is trying to point us to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the Savior of the world. And that helps kind of set the tone for these first few for these verses in chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. Uh, ver- through 10, I'm sorry. Beloved, let us not uh, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not uh, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son, his only son, into the world, so that he might live, we might live through him. In this is love, that we have, uh, not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. These are the verses that we're going to look at for a little bit. At first, just starting right at the beginning, beloved, uh, just means dearly loved, uh, or div- and it's the, the word that is there in beloved is that agapeo. And so it's this like divinely empowered love for one another. We know in the scripture that there's three different words for love. There's agape, which is that God-enabled love. There's phileo, which is kind of brotherly love. Uh, and then there's the love that's kind of like an emotional uh, love as well. And so what he's saying here is beloved. When's the last time that you've called a friend, maybe your wife, but outside of your wife or your husband, when's the last time you've gone up to someone and said, hey, beloved? Like, it seems a little, like, weird for us to, like, greet each other that way, 
But in fact, uh, John uses that here. Uh, it's 30 times, it's over 30 times in the New Testament, this idea of a greeting of one another, of beloved. Um, you know, many of you know, we, Kayla and I have served several months throughout the year down in Central America. And one of the pastors down there, we'd only known each other a couple times, and we started messaging back and through, forth through WhatsApp. And every time he would message me, he would say, mi amado, mi amado, which is my beloved. And no one has ever, I, I don't think I've ever had another brother say, hey, my beloved or my beloved. And so I, it kind of caught me off guard for a little second. But then I was like, as I got to know him deeper, I just knew that he had such a love for God that produced a love for me. And you can just see the way that he serves our ministry, the way that he just, he just wants to be part of the kingdom of God. And that produces in him a love for his Christian brother. And so I'm not saying that we need to start coming in here and like force it, but I just, I think sometimes, especially men, we don't necessarily think of that like we wouldn't talk to our, our friends, but like, hey, beloved, we'd be like, that's weird, right? But it's just, it's this, it's this John is trying to portray that the, he's speaking to us even as believers, that he just loves us and he cares for us and he, it just gives meaning to what he is saying. And it's saying that he's modeling what he's about to say Next, so he says, beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. That phrase, love one another, is three, more, is three times here in verse 7 through 12. So in just these few verses, he says to love one another. Love one another. In fact, it's five more times in 1 John. Uh, and as I, I went through pretty quickly, so I don't know if these numbers are 100% accurate, but just reading through quickly, uh, I was able to find there's 24 verses in the New Testament and a couple of them used it a couple times. So 24 verses, 27 times, it tells us to love one another. Love one another is one of the marks of are we a brother and sister in Christ. And so why is this so important? Why is it so important that he is telling us to love one another? Again, hold your place there, and we're going to flip back to John chapter 17. And again, remember, this is the same John that's writing this letter. He's recording a prayer of Jesus uh, in, in Matthew, it's, we often refer to a prayer as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed that prayer. Uh, but here in John 7, chapter 17, we might have what is maybe a little more accurately, truly, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Because this is him, before he goes to the cross, he prays. And so he, he takes uh, the first 19 verses and prays for his disciples. But then in verse 20, he shifts and he does something remarkable that's nowhere else in Scripture. He prays for me. He prays for you. Because he says this in verse 20, John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. If you are a believer in Christ, we have believed in Jesus through the word of his disciples. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Or maybe your translation says be united. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Why is it so important for us to show love to one another? Because that is the greatest way for the world to see and experience the love of Jesus. 
We live in a world that denies God. We live in a world that says this isn't a true book. We live in a world that says you Christians are like are 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 this or this or this or that. And sometimes we spend so much energy trying to like convince them they're wrong or argue with them, this and that. Y'all, this, this, what John is saying here and in his gospel, saying the greatest way to show the world that this is true is to love one another, to be one, to be united. And I don't think I have to spend much time to explain that we don't see unity in the church. We don't see unity in the global church. We might even, there might be people in here that maybe you, you have a beef with, or you have something that you need to, need to ask forgiveness for. Like, we're not immune to this. And Jesus is saying, like, John is saying, if you just show love for one another, if you have unity, that is the number one way that the world will know I, I am who God has sent me. And the reason we know that, that this, is, this is referencing also back in John, chapter, uh, in, in, in the Gospel John, is a little bit farther here in 1 John Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Or the NLT says his love is brought to full expression. But that, that same, uh, the same word, the same Greek words that John uses here in 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 12, that it will be made perfect is the exact same word that he uses there in John chapter 17, that Jesus uses in his prayer. And so that's why I'm saying that the the greatest way for the world to know who Jesus is is by the way that we love one another. That doesn't mean we don't love others outside. But y'all, if we can't love each other, we're going to have a hard time loving the world. We must love one another. And that is why it is so important. And then it goes on here in verse 7, says, let us love one another, for love is from God. See, the only way, so we can't say, okay, I see what it's saying there, like, so I'm just going to go out and try and loving my brothers and sisters better. You can't. We are incapable of showing one another this agape love. The only way that we can show one another agape love is through the Holy Spirit living in us. Because it says here that love is from God. Love is from God. So that means that God is the, uh, is the origin of this kind of love. And so a lot of times we do say, man, I just need to be more loving or I, I should do that. And, and yes, I, I, I believe that when we're saying that, our, our hearts, our minds are in the right place. But when, if we recognize that we're not showing one another love, we're showing love to our family or our coworkers, it's not that I need to strive harder or try harder to love. I need to reflect my attention back to God, the author and the giver of love. And so many times when we're not showing love to others, or not many times, when we are not showing love to others, it's because we have taken our eyes off of God. This isn't a dancing back and forth, we're saved, we're unsaved. That Like, hey, if I'm showing love, I'm saved, I'm not showing love. No, it's, but it's, there are times, as a believer in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, his word tells us. But we are still human and we still have flesh. And so those times that we are not showing love, we are operating out of our flesh. We are operating out of uh, our brokenness because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We are not happening out of what happened in the cradle on Christmas morning. We are not, happening, we are not operating out of the Holy Spirit that is within us. Because love is from God. Here in verse, in verse 7 where it says, from God. And that word from might seem like a, yeah, we know what that means. It's insignificant. Uh, but 
the, the Greek word here is ek, just E-K, that is where it's ek God. And so sometimes it's translated from or of. And as I was looking, it said that ek, it's a two-letter two letter preposition, is one of the most under-translated and mistranslated prepositions in the Greek language. And so we sometimes think like from or, or of, but what, what, what it's saying here is if we were to really understand what this word means, is it's out of the depths of the source and extending to its impact on the object. That's a, lot of, that's a lot more words than two letters. And so what it's saying is that when that little word is used, what it's communicating is that God is the very origin of love, and he shows that love through him. And so all throughout Scripture, when we see that, that God is of this or from this, it's saying that he is the origin of those things. And that's why it's impossible for us outside of God to show the love of God because he is, the, he is the creator. He is the source of love. And then it goes on and says, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. C.S. Lewis said, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. See, when we are born of God, we, we become one. We, become, we, we inherit a new, we are, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we are a new creation. So before we are born of God, that we are essentially walking dead people. We, and we need to be reborn. We need to experience, experience this newborn, uh, new birth. We don't have time to unpack it, uh, but in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And he tries to explain this, and he says, like, look, you can't just be born of your mother, but you have to be born of God. And just flip back just a couple pages to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 23, helps us understand what this means, and that we see this full picture of this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. And who's the word of God? Jesus. So this love for one another is only possible as, as we have been reborn, as we have been born again. The only way we can love God is through Jesus Christ. And it must be in that order. We must love God to be able to love others. That's why when Jesus is asked in Matthew 22, hey, what's, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God. And then he says, and then to love others. So we cannot love others without loving God. I think so many times we try to do that and we get that order out of balance. And so if we struggle to love, and then, so then it goes on in verse 8, and says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We see it there, that, we, that God is love. And so is that saying, so John is very black and white here. And so we're like, so is John saying, like, in those moments that, that I'm not showing love, I'm not, I'm not saved, as I was just saying, I, there was a quote that I felt like helped under, understand this. It says, regardless of what someone says, meaning Someone can call themselves a Christian, but if love is not the controlling principle of your life, you have never known the source of love, God himself. What is the controlling principle? What is, what is when you're put in difficult situations, when you're dealing with difficult people, is your, is your immediate to show love or not to show love? And what, what John is saying here is 
that as if we are if we are um, if we are born again, if we are saved, that our that the Holy Spirit will produce that love in us, and it is only God that can pr- produce that in us. And so it's not so much that love is like, huh, should I show love today or not? No, it's when we are found in Christ that love is a result of being of God. That as when we are, when we are a believer, we don't have to try to show love. The Holy Spirit in us produces love towards others. Again, that doesn't mean we get it right every time, but it's the Holy Spirit producing that love in us. And so how do we know that it's Jesus that makes this possible? Well, verse 9 tells us, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. God sending Jesus, the very act of sending him shows us his love, and the existence of Jesus helps us understand God's love. The fact that God gave his one and only Son is the greatest act of love. And then Jesus, who he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus perfectly embodies what the love of God is. Thomas Watson, a famous Puritan preacher, said, Christ incarnate is nothing other than love covered with flesh. It's all through Christ. And so maybe a next question we have is, okay, so when, when did this become possible? When did, when, did this, when did this change? Verse 10 tells us, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Before we said, yeah, I think I'll love God. God already had in his mind to send Jesus as a baby to live on this earth and to go to the cross. The Old Testament, uh, Jesus is not a backup plan like the Old Testament didn't work, so God had to be like, oh, now what do I do? Okay, I'll send Jesus. No, the Old Testament shows us that we are incapable of living for God without the salvation of Jesus Christ. And the whole Old Testament was still about faith in God. So it's not that the Old Testament was works-based and the New Testament is faith-based. No, it was all faith in God. But the Old Testament shows us. That's why they had to do sacrifices. This word propitiation just means that it fully appeased the wrath of God or that God's wrath was fully satisfied. What do we mean by the wrath of God is that, that God hates sin because God and sin are like oil and water, like worse than oil and water, like God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so when sin is, he, when, where sin is present, he has to pour out that wrath. That was the Day of Atonement in Leviticus, I think it's chapter 18, that God told them that, hey, once a year, uh, the, the high priest is going to go into the Holy of Holies to, make an, uh, to, to essentially be a propitiate, to make a propitiation for your sin by the sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus was a pure, spotless lamb. And so the one perfect sacrifice, that's why we don't have to keep doing sacrifices, because Jesus, on the cross, fully took on, the the sinless, perfect man, fully took on our sin so that he could be the propitiation for our sin. Jesus has always been God's plan from the beginning of time. He has always been the plan. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and in just a, in just a few minutes, we're going to we're going to light some candles, uh, and you've got a candle on your seat, uh, and so you can kind of be prepared. That's what's happening next. But as the worship team comes up, I want to shift our attention back to verse eight very briefly. 
and where it says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. We have to make a pretty clear, might seem a subtle, but we have to make a very clear distinction in what is just said, that God is love. Those aren't interchangeable. That doesn't mean that love is God. Stay with me. God is love, it says, not love is God. See, oftentimes, not oftentimes, the world, and unfortunately, sometimes even in the church, we try to define God through the lens of what we think love is, rather than defining love through the lens of who God is. And I say that again. The world tries to define who God is through the lens of what we understand love to be. But God's word is telling us is we, to fully understand what love is, we have to view it through the lens of who God is. Because we are human, we, we cannot fully understand or comprehend or possess the love of God. And so when we try to, when we try to say, well, because God is love, then I know that love is this, love is this, love is all these other things, especially that the world likes to say what love is then we are trying to view God through the lens of that wrong understanding. And that's backwards. It's like, it's like trying to look through a telescope through the wrong way. You're going to be completely distorted, and you're not going to see things clearly. We must, to truly understand the love of God, we must view love through the lens of God. To know love, we must know God. And to know God, we must love Jesus. And to know Jesus, we just must simply come. I want to end with this. In Matthew chapter 11, maybe you're here this morning, and whether it's this season has worn on you, or maybe, you, maybe this is a hard time of, see, of the year for you. Everyone's saying, Merry, Merry Christmas, joyful, joy. maybe this time of year brings bad memories, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether, maybe it's some type of life circumstances where this time of season seems anything but joyous, seems anything but merry. And maybe you're, you're feeling guilt for, well, why am I not so joyful as all these other people? Or maybe we're just caught up in the busyness of life. I just wanted, I felt like I needed to share these verses for us because I think they speak to this idea that, that Jesus knows that, Jesus sees that, and we can give those things to him. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, that's why Jesus came, so that we could experience what it means to have the peace, not just with God, but the peace of God. That we could live a life in full surrender to him. And so as we get ready to, uh, to, to, to sing, to sing this, this song, we're going to have uh, two, two ladies come forward, and they're going uh, to light some candles. Uh, and then they're going to walk uh, from the back to the front and light your candles. We're going to have the ladies come. Uh, I just want to, for us to reflect on this. Why, why are we lighting candles? Why, why are we doing this? Well, we've just been in 1 John. And in 1 John... It says, this is the message that you have heard from him and proclaim to him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so this light is a representation of Jesus is the light of the world. But because of what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we are able to have that light in us and be the light of the world to let our light shine. So I just want to encourage you over the next just minute or two, just reflect on, on this idea of being the light, to let our light shine. And the only way that we can truly let our light shine is by showing the love of God. And the only way that we can truly show the love of God is by being born again of Jesus Christ.